0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 80 of the Distraction Pieces podcast. My name is Scroobius Pip and guess what? We've got our first guest of 2016. I guess a couple of the of the year-end podcasts came out in 2016 but we recorded them in 2015 so this is our first guest and plus that was just Stu and Chris who aren't famous or anything so fuck those guys. Um but we have our first guest and it's Mr Robin Ince. But before we get to that, I got to talk about a load of other things because it's been an exciting uh, a week or two. Uh, the reaction to, to, uh, to last week's um, questions episodes, Ask Pip ones, were was fantastic. So thank you all very much for that. Um, and I wanted to discuss a couple more bits before um, I get into that. Actually, I'm going to discuss some of them. In next week's one, um, because a few people after that episode was asking, because obviously on Instagram and stuff like that, I do my my films of the year, and I did my top sixteen, and I assume everyone's seen that, and they haven't. So people were asking me about more film stuff, but I'm going to talk about that on next week's one because this is a long episode, and I've got stuff I want to talk about at the start. So next week's episode, which is fantastic, it's with a guy called Jason Reed, who you've not heard of but it's brilliant, um, and it's really important. If you enjoyed the episode with Dr S- Susie Gage, uh, where we're talking about drugs and drug law and things like that, uh, Jason Reed works for Leap UK, which is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and he works with a lot of police officers and judges who are all pushing to get um, some reform on our drug laws, or at least some consideration and reevaluation of our drug laws. He also was associate producer on a great film called social high is it oh god I'm forgetting the names of everything um but it's a great documentary that's on Netflix and it is called uh, culture high the culture high of course it is it's on Netflix it's called the culture high says next week and in the beginning of that one I'll do a little bit about my films of 2015 but at the beginning of this one obviously speech development records. UK go and buy our stuff i'm putting less and less effort into that particular advert because it feels man i've got sponsors who are paying for the podcast and you guys are just lovely in general for listening so i feel bad asking for too much more from you so but if you were interested in the label it's speech development records but the exciting thing is last week the announcement came out from octopus publishing um that there is going to be a Distraction Pieces book and I touched upon it in the questions last week and wasn't sure how much I could say and I couldn't s- s- say much at all but I'm hugely excited about it. It's looking at coming out, out later th- this year. I've got a lot of work to uh, to do on it and basically Octopus approached me and were fans of the podcast and wanted to do a book to kind of accompany it and I kind of spoke to them and sat down and said look I remember being absolutely in love with the Gervais and Pilkington and Merchant podcasts, to the extent I bought the book that transcribed a few of the episodes, and I loved it, but I don't want to just do that with distraction pieces, because, I don't know, I, as much as I loved it, I don't think I've got the, go, go, got the arrogance to think that simply transcribing them would be on a, a level to that that legendary podcast. So what we discussed is... Kind of having it as an accompaniment because we talk for 60 to 90 minutes each, each week on these and you might have some really interesting stuff, it might be tough to go back over. So the way we're planning on doing it is I'm going to pick a few topics and subjects and I'm going to write kind of introductions on these subjects, for example, m- mental health. Or, or race or gender and I'm going to write some little introductions and then we're going to go through and pick specific s- sections to transcribe that might have particularly I mean you know just instantly spring to mind on the mental health front there's some amazing quotes and statements from Gail Porter and from Eddie Temple Morris and from Tom Robinson and on race Killer Mike obviously said some absolutely m- amazing stuff. Um, B. Dolan spoke greatly about uh, some of the protests and movements in America. Akala, uh, Riz Ahmed, all spoke w- wonderfully on these these subjects. So the plan w- will be so that it's not just a, oh, here's a book of stuff you've already heard. It's going to be kind of a collection, and we're going to go through and get these these particularly poignant and important bits and put them together for you. Um, we're going to have new illustration from mr heggie who's been doing all the illustration at speech development for a a while now so that's hugely exciting and we're going to have you know i want to do something with i take polaroids every for every episode i want to do something visual with the polaroids for you i want to do i'm going to do an introduction talking you through the kit i use and talking you through how how you can get a podcast online and do your own podcast. The kit I use and then also suggest some more budget kit that anyone can use because I kind of over overreached with mine. Mine's incredible quality and it doesn't quite need to be that expensive. So I want to do that as well. So it's more of a, look, here's a guide to, to, to doing this yourself. It's not just... But buy this if you're a fan of the podcast and to support or whatever else it's like no look this is this is i want all of you doing this i don't want this to be just exclusive to me and and a few others so yeah that's kind of the plan with it and it's hugely exciting and octopus publishing they as soon as i, was, I sat down with them like they showed me a load of their stuff and they're such good They 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 traditionally they got big doing a lot of of kind of your modern and cool and hip cookbooks and stuff like that. So they work a lot, they work really well with the visual side of bringing things together. And then they, in the last few years, they've reached, they've launched kind of a new a new arm that's looking at more music stuff and they did a beautiful six music book and an amazing ed sheeran book i know a lot of you aren't going to be into ed sheeran but it's this beautifully illustrated thing so the idea would be to bring together a few of these things and kind of have it really i want it to be this beautiful thing to hold in your hands and you know to be visually great and as well as having all this information in there that you can just kind of use almost as a, a a reference book to not, I mean, again, you can obviously sit down and read it from beginning to end, but I, I also like the idea that when you've done that, it's not over. You, you know, you can go back and have reference points and go, "I need to." Oh, what was it that Killer Mike or how did Dead Killer Mike break down the idea of of using your own entrepreneurship to to improve your area's economy and things like that? And just you know, have those those cool reference points. So, yeah, hugely excited about that, and that's coming out, out later in the year, obviously. I've got a lot of work to do there so I'll get on with that as well but um that's exciting right oh god there's gonna be every now and then if I have a a, a long intro because people uh, some people s- skip the intro thinking it's all adverts which it isn't but I every now and then I have people go man it was like 10 minutes until it got to the the actual podcast started and people don't realize that the intro is the start so I'm gonna have I'm probably going to have some angry tweets from people, because this is going to be, like with the sponsors as well, this is going to be like 15 minutes before the podcast starts. But it's a long one. Robin Ince is amazing, and we've been I've been meaning to have him on for ages. We've talked about it for ages, so i was glad we got down to do it. He was beautiful to allow me into his home, and he's not doing an awful lot of press and podcasts at the moment. So it was great to have a really good chat. I should probably uh, uh, leave it there and get on with it. I want to also thank you all at the start of the year for continuing to support our sponsors um, that come at the beginning of the and the end of the intro normally. Um, and they keep the podcast free, and they're all again. I, I I choose the sponsors. There's, I've turned down plenty. Um, because I just they're not people I'm into. Even even when it's not like oh I'm morally against you, it's like I'm just not into that. So it feels like it's bullshit. But all the sponsors that we have, you know companies i like so i appreciate your support of them and thus supporting us and all that but i'll be i'll be back at the end to talk to you some more about next week's podcast and all the other good things ahead also i've recorded a secret podcast that i don't know when we're going to launch but when we do it's going to be coincide with something exciting i might say a little bit more at the end let's get on with a robin ints This piece of fiction is the incense of destruction.
1: This piece of fiction is the
0: incense of destruction. This piece of fiction is the incense of destruction. This piece of fiction is the incense of destruction. And I don't really have a start or an intro or a beginning, but I've just begun. How I've never had a beginning.
1: I, I no. think the beginnings are, are, are hugely overrated. I think beginnings can lead to mediocrity. Yeah, it's uh, you see that in stand up a lot. If you have to have that ten second joke, which says I look a bit like this and also a bit like that, that could lead into terrible places.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, a, a, a poet I'm a big fan of called Moose Wonga once said that um, he feels he was he was he was once told that if it takes you longer to introduce your poem than to perform it then there's big problems with with, with what you're doing and, and who you are. If you feel you need to introduce and go, here's an explanation, you should be able to just stand up on your own.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, merits, the greatest but... example of that in a good way is John Hegley, yeah. who used to have a, a, a lovely poem where he would do this kind of, it would seem like three to four minute introduction about uh, the way that he was dealing with his uh, kind of uh, psychological understanding of the place where he came from and the alienation that he felt having come from working class background and then moving into middle class genres such as poetry. And he would go on and on and on, and the whole poem was, Luton, I think of you when I'm eating my crouton." <laughs> that was it. That's, that's a way to do that.
0: Yeah, that's perfect. I always remember John Hegley... Um, the first time I did a gig with him I'd only done about I'd done a handful of gigs and he was playing at um, a collective called S- S- Sundown in Southend who I'm sure I'm sure you've done stuff with I've never the done they've the done the,
1: the festival that they, they ran yeah. I was never able to do it I love yeah. Southend I find yeah. Southend really fascinating because when you do find it's alternative scene which obviously I mean you will know yeah. that, that, that's more your area but, yeah, but yeah. clawing away like the beautiful uh, the, uh, the the railway run by yeah. Dave yeah. Dulay yeah and you walk through the shopping centre and you think, oh, I'm not sure what South End's going to have about, anything yeah. for me. And then all of them come out. They come out for to sit on it. And Dave Doolakes. That Doo-Lake. one
0: spot, that one Have you done the Railway Tavern? Um, I'm, no, I haven't. I haven't. I've been there many times. I've never uh, performed there.
1: It's what I, I, I find uh, the Doolakes are uh, Nancy and uh, Fee, and uh, I should say, yeah. and, and they are uh, fantastic. But what I particularly they, love they is. They the, allowed
0: us to film. I filmed a. A music video there. I did
1: a uh, gold teeth video, and they let us just
0: have have run of the place. And we did upstairs. We kind of overtook and turned it into. We turned it into a pound in the pint jar strip club, obviously for the music video, n- not for like just a week of extra <laughs> yeah. earnings. Just like for, 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 for that moment. But yeah, I've never bizarrely. I don't think I've ever ever performed there. That springs to mind. But yeah, it's 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 one of them. It's there's that there used to be um, the Royal Hotel and in years ago the sunrooms and they're all those places that as you said they're a hidden away part on on again you see S- south end and it is kind of a rough seafront uh, a very regular town center but if you can find these little art pockets as it were then
1: yeah or oh, for someone like me, of course, it is the location of every day is like Sunday Morrissey video, yeah, yeah, where we yeah, search yeah. for the original butchers, where the girl left uh, <laughs> yes. upset, or indeed the radio rentals where she sees Charles Hawtrey. Well, there you uh, go. <laughs> what the, a yeah.
0: journey you can take a, 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 around S- South End.
1: But what I love about the railway as well is that, you know, when at certain venues, none of the chairs match at all. Not, a single, one. Not a single one. And that's impressive because normally by chance, probabilistically, there's going to yeah. be two high backs that are similar. But that, that's another of, of the many delights of that venue. Sorry, you yeah. were going to say about John Hegley. And no, the, and no, someday. no, I
0: like it. Just, just It's, it, it's, it's made me think instantly. There's a, there's a place I went to in, 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 in Belgium once and it's against the law to build... A house that is the same as any other house in that town or or city, and and someone actually did 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 go to put in jail for it, or at least th- threat of jail and had to pull down because they some a property developer tried to build a load of houses all the same and were and 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 was called up on it, and it's a, a beautiful law that every house has to have its distinction and, and uniqueness, so it's not like a lot of England where it's house after house after house that looks the same. But yeah, um, Higley, um I was doing a gig with him really early on. And I was watching him and thoroughly enjoying him. And in part of his set, he asked someone at the front of what they thought, and that someone happened to be my mum. And it's one of his wonderfully awkward bits where they go, "Yeah, oh, I'm loving it." And he's like, "What? What has been your favourite part?" And she just just really requests a, a real analysis um, of, of of what they're enjoying about his sets so far. So a wonderfully um, awkward moment and enjoyable. I find one of the things, format. one of
1: my favourite things that he ever wrote, which was, was prose rather than, than than poetry, was for a book about. Uh, I think it was a book uh, all about. It was called Comedy Talk or something like that yeah. by Jim Pyle, and it was talking about the day that he felt like a real poet for the first time. Yeah. and so obviously he'd been on the I'm comedy still circuit, for that day. and no, none, none of that that faux humility. <laughs> um, and it was uh, so he went. He did a gig at the Royal Festival Hall. And yeah. it was like with poets. Yeah. Not, he wasn't on a comedy bill. He wasn't in yeah. a stand-up club. He he was on with poets. And he said, you know, that he, he hung around a little bit afterwards. But then he just went back to his uh, favorite pub. I think it was the Tufnell Park Tavern. It might have been. And he just uh, and he sat there on his own with a pint, going, "I'm a I'm a poet. I, I am a poet." Yeah. And I find that those moments. I mean, you know, I've, I've experienced that where every now and again you go, "This is what I do. Yeah. This is my real life. This is." young me would look and go, it's all right. Yeah. You know, we might have expected a few more to turn up. You know, that gig in Annick. young me would look at and go, I don't know why old me has gone to Annick. Very poor turnout. Completely. But overall...
0: And I think it's easy as soon as you're in any industry like that to forget that. And it's really important to have those moments of remembering because it does just become a gig or a job. And you are kind of like, well, it's not been great here. Or it's not been great there. I always remember when we did Ames, Iowa in America, me and Dan Lesac, and... Um, we had, I think, twelve people turn out, or something like that. It was, it was a low number. It was, it was, was double figures, but just, and we were just like the promoter came up to us, like, "I'm really sorry, turnouts not great," and we were literally had to say, "Until this tour was booked, I'd never heard of Ames, Iowa." So the fact that twelve people in Ames, Iowa have heard of us. It's mind blowing. They've already put a lot it's... more effort
1: in than you. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: exactly. And I've had to check how it's pronounced for on stage, so you know that's 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 a big deal. But um, yeah, so we've kind of done an intro that's talking about the 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 un, un, the lack of necessity of intros, which is quite incredibly m- a meta. So that's as, as should be expected, <laughs> I think. Um, we're recording this and. It, it needs it, it it definitely bears mention it's one of the first things that we discussed as we as i came in the door um it's the it's the day that mr Barry has 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 gone on his final journey which is is sad indeed um and you're obviously a massive a massive fan i i discussed i'm kind of i i've always i think he's a bona fide legend. I like a lot of his songs, but I couldn't call myself a fan just because of a lack of knowledge of of his work. See, I don't think...
1: I'm probably not a big fan because all I am is someone who's listened to a great deal of his music and has all his albums. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Whereas there are people who... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's levels. There's levels. There are... You know, I, I I revere him. I think he... It's, uh but there's that point where you think well i can 't call myself a fan, I can yeah. only call myself someone who's deeply interested in what yeah. he did, and also because on 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 Friday uh three days uh, before he died, Michael Legg and i uh, michael who I do a podcast with yes. called Vitriola, which is just cool. a shambolic argument between two middle middle-aged men about music and Wonderful. we uh, we listened to the whole of the Black star album, yeah and just did a kind of and, and it is it's fantastic, and there is that the thing that gets me about the uh, Bowie is you go. Everything, everything has been so... Kept, the, the constant, beautiful, cultural and artistic manipulation. The fact that when I listened to Blackstar the night before he died, yeah. because that's one of the things that I think I love about his his work, is when someone dies very often you then go, um, oh, that's reminded me I must listen to their music. Yeah. for most people, they're listening to Bowie a lot of the time. Last yeah. night I was listening to Blackstar, I was listening to Station to Station. Completely. And um, when you listen to Blackstar and the news of his death uh, has been reported... It changes it even more, and yeah. the video changes. And as everyone has commented already, Lazarus, his yeah. final single, all of these things. Are yeah, as if he goes, yeah, I yeah. am writing the obituary. I, in death, am still control in control. Yeah, Artistic it's kind of control. isn't
0: it? It's one of them things. I also feel um, it's an odd one because uh, I mean, I talk a lot in in, in 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 lyrics about death and how I don't necessarily think it should always be seen as this sad and horrible thing. It is an inevitable inevitability and there is well, one of the a level that... of sadness obviously but there's there's certainly a lot of beauty in the fact that Bowie has been able to come back with material that is l- l- loved as much as anything just before he goes it's, it's similar with Gil Scott Heron in fact yeah it's, it's, it's similar with Gil who was so great and then just gone and away for so long and then came back with Arguably as good as anything he's ever written and recorded, just before he and and doing you know getting to tour it and doing this just before he he checked out. So there's a great album. There's as well. there's some beauty in that as, as 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 well, right? In the in in the, in that we've got that. This could have been a year ago and. There would have been all this old, all the lost tapes or half finished songs and, and, and nonsense like that. So, well, he's
1: got, I mean, The Next Day was a great album as well. And the, um, what I find interesting as well, I was thinking a lot of where people, when they overly mourn people that they, they didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And that, particularly in the thing, world of social media, it's, yeah, well, so, it's a very, social again, again is, as, it's as, a as we were discussing
0: before, and it was, it's, I find it an ugly thing that my, the, um, Amy who runs the social media for my label, um, a message and was genuinely very hugely moved by a, 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 a bowie dying and rightfully so asked if we should do a post about it because it might look bad if we don't and again it was it was a great discussion to have because i was like right no we don't have to do anything you don't have to but it i found it so sad that that's a genuine construct of our society that you do have to think should i mourn publicly? save people looking at me badly if I don't you yeah know? the necessity it's kind of, a, it's so of horrible
1: grieving yeah. is uh, well that's the thing that's interesting it's so is that weird. people say things like um they go oh that's a bit of my childhood I've lost my childhood I've, that's some of my childhood and you think well actually it's, it's not at all no because at that moment where I mean as it was I'd been listening to quite a lot of Bowie anyway but it suddenly makes everything even more vivid the yeah, moment sure. that you lose an artist and you realize they won't create anything more and especially when they've got the amount that he's everything changes the way and and the vibrancy the excitement the sudden like the, you know this incredible burst of not cobwebby nostalgia but really you know nostalgia that comes right into the foreground of, of the moment that I, I was listening to the live at nassau album which has an incredible 13 minute version of panic in detroit with an incredibly yeah. long drum which ba- basically the drum solo is removed in some of the edits right yeah. 13 and a half minutes <laughs> and you listen to that and you listen to the power of his voice and you think well this is not none of my childhood has been taken away yeah. i mean i was thinking about that when you know we were doing that counterculture yes yes uh, Alan Moore. A- event and and a few days as i think i told you at the time my mum wasn't well then and my mum died three days later and and i think i will save any sense of you know, some of my childhood has been stolen. Yeah. Uh, for and even then, it's not. Even then, yeah. I still have everything. You know, the, the difference between David Bowie and, and my mum is I played top trumps with my mum a lot more than I didn't play it and, with, with and Bowie and once. She Bowie once. never made me a chocolate cake. Yeah, he never let me lick the bowl. None of these things. Exactly. And and, and again, that's the thing. It's it's
0: it's it's strange. I was, I said, I was was trying to have this discussion, but also a, a loathe to have such a discussion when it is genuinely sad that someone so great has passed, but it's exactly that. For the majority of people in the world, for 99% of people in the world, they still have so much of what they ever had Mm. of Bowie. They still have every amazing, beautiful album. That's still theirs to enjoy eternally until they pass. So their relationship with Bowie hasn't necessarily changed that much with his passing, other than, again, there could be a selfishness of, I might have got w- w- one more album to enjoy. I mean, things like that. So,
1: also, yeah. though, this, the, the, I think the biggest annoyance with the Bowie thing in terms of what we lost is... You wanted to see what he looked like when he was eighty five. Yeah, yeah. Because no one has had such I can't think of anyone with such a remarkable face, that bit that every yeah, time you would yeah, see him. Yeah, when yeah. we were kids and it was Bowie at fifty, which then seemed like can you even imagine yeah, someone is still crazy, creating things yeah. and you know now I, I you know moving towards that four more years and I will be fifty. Um, I I met him once very briefly backstage at a gig, which someone just reminded me was probably the last time he sang on stage. Uh, oh, wow. it was it was at Madison Square Gardens and he went on and and he sang the uh, little fat idiot song or whatever from extras right? and a mate of mine just texted me and said I think it was the last time he would have done a public what a bizarre final yeah. public uh, performance but I got the chance to meet briefly and I wanted to get something signed for my sister because she was a huge Bowie fan Yeah. and I had I'd been for the two weeks beforehand where I knew I'd probably get the chance to meet him I kept having these little nightmares where I would kind of you know tap him on the shoulder go Mr. Bowie and he'd turn Around and go ah and, and it would just turn out that you know as long as the lights were there and as long as as long as he was on display there would be some form of vivacity that would come into his face yeah but the moment that he was almost put in his body the moment he became private bow he'd go now i can let everything collapse and go re- yeah but as it was he looked fucking amazing yeah
0: wonderful wonderful um
1: well let's talk about
0: when i f- I, f- I think when i first became um aware of you was in on the extras of Ricky Gervais his first live DVD um and it was generally him torturing you um viciously and constantly um so what what was the journey up to that, and what was how 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 did your relationship with Ricky come about, and how was that?
1: Uh, I, I was grown in a laboratory in UCL Excellent. to become his plaything when his previous plaything <laughs> was sent away. They had a whole laboratory in the UCL just growing homunculuses it to be you, or homunculi to be bullied. You Do have you, been chosen. Homunculuses or homunculi? I, think I, homunculi? I, I like homunculi. Let's go with homunculi then. Um, no, but well, what happened with that is uh, I met him when I first started stand up when he was a uh, an ensemble officer at ucl or was it ucl Ulu university uh london union yeah. and when he was managing a, a queen tribute band and, and he was also this was a little bit after he'd also been managing suede and there's that lovely story the fact that at one point he he got should he couldn't really manage two bands does yeah. he go with keep going with suede did he stay with the queen tribute band he decided queen tribute band and brilliant and he
0: managed a lot of this is actually a weird link i had for my end-of-year reviews on the podcast, I had two friends of mine, Stuart Awiffin, who runs a club night called The Pink Toothbrush, mm. has run The Pink Toothbrush and Raley for years, and, and my mate Chris. And Stuart Awiffin actually used to be in a band called Serious Problem, who were managed formerly by Mr G- Gervais. So. I think
1: I saw S- Serious Problem became Limousine, didn't they? Didn't Serious Problem develop into maybe they changed the lineup? There was they might have uh, changed the
0: lineup. I know... Yeah they, they the there was Lilo came out of serious problem I think but yeah they were they were an entertaining entertaining entity and and Gervais was Was at the helm for some point. Well, if
1: anyone has got the Smash Hits Yearbook, I think 1983. The amongst the up and coming bands is Shona Dancing. He's now famous, still within many people's top ten electro bands. If you live in Malaysia, quite big in Malaysia, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Some lovely stories about Bucks Fizz uh, having to attempt to smuggle them on a plane to get to film Rasmataz, a early 1980s pop show. But um, that's his history, not mine. Let him deal with that. Uh, So we we met when I was comparing a comedy night this should be about 93 yeah. and we kind of got on because i didn't realize of all the various uh kind of uh psychological tics uh that he has in terms of his manipulation of those humans who are around him i yeah. didn't realize what was waiting for me and so we so we met and we both have a uh kind of a love of 1970s summer summertime seaside special kind of act right yeah you know yeah, the yeah. people like i mean it was a wonderful thing to see i've never watched the voice before on on telly yeah. but i watched it this weekend because bernie clifton was on yeah. who for many people is most famous for Cracker Jack or or the or the ostrich routine Yeah. and so we had this obsession where we would ring each other up and talk about what is the best pattern of celebrities in Celebrity Squares, who would be in the centre, <laughs> oh, who you yes. have in top left, who you decide to have, you know, top middle, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, top middle, because top middle obviously is someone who's not going to be asked so many questions, so you don't want someone who's a bon viveur or a raconteur, yeah. where you place Henry Cooper, Willie Rushton, he's always in the centre. So we would talk about things like that and blankety blank. And then he was kind of interested, and he was definitely interested in stand-up, and I tried to persuade him to do it, and he never really got round to doing it. And then he got the head of speech at, um, uh, what was it, XFM. Yeah. And that's how he met Steve Merchant. Yeah. And, of course, Steve has an incredible mind, incredible comedic mind. So it was really, we, we hung around and we drunk together, and he did terrible things and made awful noises. And Both of them, I felt, must have been
0: a, a wonder to observe and at points of a huge frustration to the, the stand-up scene, just because Gervais seemed to... Try stand up so late and be amazing and a merchant as as well I remember sp- well, Steve was kind of great, right? right the shows, start. They were just absolutely stunning, just yeah.
1: I think with Ricky it's a different thing because Ricky never really did the circuit. Ricky came into stand up famous. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that if you come into something famous, you can never truly know what someone you know if if you remove the fame from many. Exactly. Uh, You've not acts.
0: done those open mics or yeah. those awkward tens or fifteens and
1: so I always think there's something slightly different about his his way with it. And obviously he'd had ideas all the time. He had all he was waiting. He was really yeah. waiting to then suddenly express and once he got that first little bit of 11 o'clock show fame Steve is one of the most uh in fact in in a couple of weeks I'm interviewing him at the slapstick festival in Bristol which I'm really looking forward to because he loves comedy he has so many gifts of comedy has 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 a wonderful voice a an incredible comedic demeanor he's six foot seven uh you know with those fantastic you know furious googly eyes all of those things and he is I, I watched him over and over again. We did we did an Edinburgh show together once called Rubbernecker, which I was particularly useless in. I didn't really want to do stand-up then. It was uh, Jimmy Carr. I was going to um,
0: say, was that early on in your... That was kind of... Before- early on in your stand-up kind no, of No, that was request, towards the, the
1: end of what I what I thought was going to be the end of my stand-up career. Right. We used to do a show called Rubbernecker at the Hen and Chickens in uh, North London. And it was basically Ricky, Steve and me dicking around, Brilliant. doing kind of improvised made-up sketches or stupid characters that we had. And Jimmy would go on with a clipboard and do all his best jokes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> we were going to go take it to Edinburgh and then at the last minute everyone went, oh, let's all just do stand-up sets. And I just didn't like stand-up anymore. I'd gone yeah. off stand-up... I'd I'd got hit that kind of point where I just I don't even know if I want to do stand-up. So I was there with three incredibly hungry people yeah. and this kind of, you know, grey-faced, you know, last few lines of crap's last tape image, you know, just going along dustily in his cardigan. And, uh... It was very. What was intriguing was Steve was unfollowable, though. Yeah. Steve originally wasn't on last, but I said right at the start I said he should be on last because it was this. He did this beautiful act. that was I don't know if you ever saw so it. It was nineteen minutes, nineteen twenty minutes, which was basically about a very high status comedian, someone coming on and telling the audience he is brilliant. Then noticing that someone doesn't really isn't laughing enough, he then obsesses about that person until he entirely falls apart brilliant. and is filled with shame and fury. Brilliant. And I would watch that every night and laugh as much, if not more, because each time there would just be a tiny, a tiny change, tiny, tiny changes. And I I remember, you know, falling through doors, laughing, watching. I love it. It's
0: it's, it's similar to what Anthony Jeselnik does so well now. I think he's fantastic at that general um, just opinion of how lucky you all are to be here to witness this Mm. important moment in comedy every night. And again, yeah, it's a great thing that if it can be pulled off
1: well, that's a... Well, what was lovely was sometimes in the club gigs where it didn't always work because not everyone got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes other acts didn't get it, and I always felt that that was a major thing. That if an act didn't understand the conceit and what was going on in the performance, yeah. then in some ways they were now slightly lowered in my estimation, Yeah. or even you know heavily. Like how could they not? Re- I remember one going, "What's he doing? He's he's, he's ruining the room." But also, what happened but then was there's
0: a, a sadistic beauty in that as well, isn't it? Because that means it's so it's so perfect, perfectly executed and done. Um, again. Not to keep comparing, but Brian Gittins is a favourite of mine at the moment. Oh, I love Brian Gittins, and he's so good. But really, I I had him. I took him on as a support on uh, when I did a spoken word tour. So it was me, Brian Gittins, and Kate Tempest. So again, he's a really odd fit in there. But his thing is to essentially be a bad, outdated comedian. So he's he's built this horrible conceit for himself that if he absolutely nails it. He leaves the room confused and unsure if they've if they enjoyed themselves, yes. which is a tough thing to build for yourself as a career, particularly touring, to go, yeah, well, that went perfectly but everyone kind of isn't sure what they think and i remember confused. falling
1: through a chair watching him do the hokey cokey at uh, oh, the green so man good. festival which is yeah. delight. but that was yes yeah, steve was unfollowable because also yeah. he picked apart so many conceits of. i mean that's one of the great things about him is he makes you if you're working with him i think have to work harder yeah because if you you suddenly go hang on a minute i've realized levels of fakery i've realized levels of kind of you know mundane or banal technique which yeah. has slowly seeped in due to 10 years of working yeah. on the circuit and i must ring those out because i've so forgotten now
0: something in my set is something that is not as an insult to me but being sent up in a yeah thing, in, in, in the mate, set you can leave, leave the, the stage the you've been
1: satirized already leave the stage <laughs> you 've been satirized, you are nothing, you are dust
0: <laughs> my brand new material was satirized last night before i'd ever performed it so it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a tough a, a tough one to follow so yes, so how was that and and, and where did if that was the point at which you were kind of tired of stand up what had led you to become tired of it, and what was
1: I think I didn't necessarily know. I was always in love with the idea of being a stand-up because mm-hmm. I got so excited when I saw Alexis, Sayle, when I saw Rick Mail. Before that, as well, I mean, when I was a kid, I always liked any of those kind of shows with Impressionists on or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. But there was about I loved Lolan Hardy and Charlie Chaplin. But I think there was that point of seeing Rick Mayle doing Kevin Turvey and going just it's the greatest thing I'd seen it was yeah. so the scripts which I think still are incredibly funny scripts then the comic strip came along the young ones came along I started to read you know I buy listings magazines before I was allowed to go to London you know yeah, this yeah, was yeah. just to know what I was missing the ex- oh, what, what happens in these cellars yeah. what are the, these strange <laughs> one of the acts comes on just entirely covered in papier-mâché someone else is standing on ice there's an acapella singer there's all of these things go- what is going on I'm, I'm, what I, is I, this
0: I, a, 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 another annoyance of social media is I'm living that a lot now because there's so many American comedians I'm getting into and the comedy store in LA just seems to just have line up after lineup of my dreams and I get I, I look on Twitter this Thursday here's who's playing on Instagram yeah. I just sit there going Uh, Oh, to be there at that, (laughs) down the road at that moment, but yeah. I
1: I found that intro when I was out in, I was out in LA in, what, April last year and watching, uh, It's quite going to some of the smaller clubs and realising that because it's L.A., there is a constant risk if you go out and do new material because people are thinking, will this be the one? Will this be the one where the person from The Tonight Show, you know, James Corden show, whatever it is, will this be the one where the person who's got the sitcom where they're looking for someone with exactly my kind of face? And I noticed some of those people, I thought, oh, this can be very dangerous for experimentation, for a lack of experimentation. Uh, but then, equally, there were people who went on and were incredibly lazy and That's were it. reading their notes off their phone. Which yeah. is, I, I think, there's one thing. About, there's a great <laughs> book dark, actually by it? Um, uh, what's it? Patton Oswalt. Yeah. In fact, it's somewhere there. It's on my shelf. Hang on a minute. Where is it? With the uh, I'll be right back, chief. There we go. This is uh, which one is it? Silver Screen Feed beautiful this is um, yeah this this book Silver Screen Fiend is Pat Oswalt's uh, kind of basically his experience in LA working to be a stand-up comic but also a- obsessively going to rep cinemas Constantly to aware, watch but... so he's always watching films so a lot of it's about the films he's watching Amazing. but it also basically has his and he talks about that moment of going to the clubs for the first time, I think it's in San Francisco, and seeing all these these people with just like notes written on their hands and notebooks, and he's just going to go on and go, wham, bam, foom, with his... Carefully honed material, and of course, when he does that, he dies yeah. because everyone can see the fakery. Yeah, yeah, and there's something about you know. I, th- I think you always have to have respect. You should have a certain level of respect for your audience, not to just go. Hang on a minute, I don't know what I've done with this. You know, yeah. t- to know what you're doing, even if part of what you know what you're doing is knowing how to be ramshackle and confused when you do new material. Like uh, uh, I'm doing old rope tonight, which is in lovely club in in, in London, and yes. you are allowed to be as ramshackle as you want because yeah, that's, that's what the, they're there
0: that's for. That's the point. That's the the. Const- of the evening there's there's a, a poet called David Jay who's fantastic and he does a lot of stuff He it's his whole gig is one big, big performance and he'll be in this weird character and he'll repeat and he'll, and he'll loop and he'll loop and he'll loop and he'll repeat and go back and forth and all this and on one bit and I don't know if it was a, a save he did later on but he made a mistake in a line, had to start again, and then there was a line later on that referenced intentionally making mistakes to give an, to give the audience a, a feeling of of humility to him that <laughs> you know intentionally making this putting cracks in his own work to, to- so that we could connect that bit better so you don't feel this is so unattainable. Which
1: There was a lovely bit, Sam Simmons, who won the Edinburgh Award this year, and I saw his show at Soho Theatre last week. Very, very funny, brilliant, absurd, passionate, uh, and preposterous show. And near the beginning he said, there's one joke which won't work tonight because I've forgotten to get the prop. Right, now I don't know whether that was true or not, but it certainly did seem to be and yeah. it was just that lovely moment of uh, uh going that's the one I forgot to get, and then you move on, and he's now got you involved in it we you know it's it's a that's yeah. one of the things that it's I found- the beauty
0: of, if if you feel something went wrong or something is unique, then it's that bit more special. It's something that mm. you have shared with that performer It's not you're not just another audience member, this is something for that night that's happened uniquely, you know.
1: That's what I find terrifying, actually, is that over time, w- when I start doing a tour, that on the first few dates, the show is very, there's, there's, I've got a stack of ideas that yeah. I want to get through and I don't necessarily know how they're going to fit and there is a proper, the zeal and excitement of going, I have no idea whether, w- where I'm going with this. And then you find the punchlines and then you find and slowly it gets shaped. And then there is a point where I go, oh, oh, this show's the same now. And though I want it, I always want there to be a reasonable amount, but there's a certain, from to the first two months, change, change, change. I mean, I found the notes of the last tour that I did yeah. for the first three nights. I found all the notes I made. I went, wow, how does, only four of these ideas made it through and somehow those four ideas became two and a half hours long. Yeah. But everything it's, else only existed for a month at the most. But it's
0: such a strange conflict as well, isn't it? Because there's the point you have that realisation is generally the point that your show is at its best. Mm. But that realisation will at times make you perform the show a little bit l- less than it's best for fear of it just becoming a formulaic, I'm just going out, bang, 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 thank you and good night. Yeah. You know, that it, it is a weird thing and it's something, I think is something you have to just accept that, no, here's how we do the gig. It's really good. It's a different crowd. It's a different, it's not, you don't have to worry about oh it's the same as last night I just did that exactly the same as last night it's like to different people it's acceptable but it is a weird thing that you start to randomise and pick apart if you're doing a
1: festival and sometimes you get three or four people who might come to you twice maybe three times and you immediately go I therefore have to I may well ruin this (laughs) gig for the rest of the audience (laughs) just because of the necessity of change just
0: just to
1: but it's an odd thing when you know in fact when I was touring with Ricky and, and I mean you mentioned that living with Ricky thing whenever people said oh why didn't you do his next tour? And I thought, you saw the DVD extras, (laughs) and there was a reason. (laughs) And, I mean, the main reason was, in fact, because he was so incredibly famous. And I realised that if I did it again, then that's what I'd become. And I had so many other interests. I didn't want to – it's very interesting to play these enormous gigs. Yeah. uh, But it's also quite limiting as a support act. And I was also made to do – I had to do the same set every night because he wanted to know exactly what I talked about. Right. And there was a point about a gig, I don't know what it was, 58, and I went, you have to let me change. I can't. I was on, I think it was Manchester Evening News Arena or somewhere, and... I looked at my fingernails. I was looking at my fingernails as I said the words because I would, they were now. I had no association it's just, it's, with it's them. It's
0: just sounds coming it out is. of your body at this point. Yeah.
1: If 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 my head had been cut off in some you know in mm. some machete attack, I believe that still disembodied it would have continued doing the next five to yeah. six minutes. Yeah. It was all there, <laughs> and that, that's what I find. The idea of one making at least creating the illusion of something being live immediate and now yeah but also i do like that idea that every single night there is something which is only going to be seen by yeah. that audience it's, some experience It's such
0: a weird a weird balance because i found I've, I've mentioned this before i think but the thing i loved the one year i did the edinburgh fringe was being in the same venue every night with the same crew and same team so that i could really hone a show and by the end I guess it was a one-off run, but by the end, I was excited that even ninety percent of the ad libs, I felt I could orchestrate. I felt I could, if I left a pause here, someone would say something that I could then react to in this yeah. way. And I, I kind of, I really enjoyed that that level of really feeling that right. By the end of this nineteen-show run, I'm, if I wanted to end the show by flying into space, I could. I mean, I feel in that much control of everything that, yeah. I love that, um, but you. So, as sad as it is to hear that that was the point um, when you guys were doing that sh- that show together, that you were maybe starting to feel a bit tired. Oh yeah, I've just realised I
1: haven't answered any of the questions. No, you've No, every question has jumped yeah. onto a next one, which yeah. I'm enjoying.
0: I'm seeing if we can get through the whole hour on that, <laughs> like that. But no, it has led me on to another one. Although that's sad, it's also really pleasing to me knowing or what came ahead because it feels like that must have been the catalyst because something that's always excited me and what I've loved about your work and as we've got to know each other and work together is you've always been a huge embracer of of multiple things, particularly with the shows you'll put on. Um, I was trying to think back. I think either the first time we met was when I came on Utter Shambles. with No, you and Josie, I think the very first time we met
1: them. was... Jeff Lloyd's election show. Yes, it for was. absolute yes, radio. It was,
0: and you came and said hello to me, which I was. Yeah. I felt I'd got there, and it was late at night, and everyone would stand up, and there was a few people who clearly all knew each other, and I was a little bit, oh god, I don't know anyone. I'm just going to come on and chat for a bit, and then then go. And, and And we had a quick chat, and yeah, so it must have been a little while after that then that I came and did your um, nine carols. Yeah, nine less carols. Nine less carols for Godless, the carols people, for godless yeah. people. Yeah, and I fell in love with them hugely because for anyone who doesn't know, what they are is their events that you would put on at Christmas and it would generally be a rotation of a comedian and then someone giving some kind of speech or lecture, generally a scientist of some sort and then a musician Mm. and then that would repeat. There'd be another comedian and another lecture, another musician. And that was a hugely exciting thing for me, having been to a lot of spoken word gigs where no matter how good they are after you... Tenth poet in a row, your board of poems or open mics where it's acoustic singer-songwriters. After your tenth acoustic singer-songwriter in a row, you could have D- D- Dylan up there, and you'll be like, "All right, cool, you just got a guitar and a voice. Then We're, let's get on with this." So I, I loved that variation and, and that mix. So or was that something that kind of came of your 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 kind of your your falling out of love slightly of stand up that want to engage other elements and engage other. <laughs>
1: I think it's – I'm trying to – I'm not entirely sure. After Rubberneck 2001, and then I did quite a lot of writing, TV warm-up and things like that, and I was working on on various bits. I'm not entirely sure – what was 2004? I think was where everything clicked. Yeah, that to me is the starting point yeah. of the of with me realizing that I'd wasted most of the nineties. You know, <laughs> stupidly playing playing bad snooker in Brixton pubs or drinking in the afternoon, doing twenty minute gig at night, and thinking that's actually a job of work. You know, yeah. this kind of preposterous laziness of the twenties. But it was. I did this show called uh, The Wardering Robin and Star of The Office Series 1 Episode 5 First Bit yeah. and it was because I'd sat in a pub with a friend of mine we were looking through the fringe brochure and we saw how many people said they had a BAFTA or whatever it was and we were going they haven't got a BAFTA they worked you on that show
0: associated to so show we made a little a list
1: of how many we'd both won if you just ha- have this kind Brilliant. of you know tree or cobweb of connections and so I did this show and it ended with me I've talked about this many times it ended with me in fact I think I talked about the counterculture event then me punching <laughs> (laughs) and Melon representing Vernon Kay's head and kind of weeping and screaming and then suddenly looking, just freezing for a moment, then breaking into Mustang Sally, which all connected to other things as well. A lot of people did not get that show. That show, very, I think it's the first time that I really felt comedy nearly properly destroyed me. Right. Most, I mean I'd had various things that just before the Edinburgh Festival started the basement flat that I lived in flooded with shit uh, oh, wow. sewage from outside uh, I'd only recently got married all of our things have been destroyed I was doing a radio show that I wasn't enjoying doing anymore I was flying back from Edinburgh to do a radio show getting up at four in the morning trying to do this show where people would just sit there and either totally get it or not get it at all yeah. a bit like the Brian Gittins thing you know where yeah, you go yeah. people either entirely got it or just none of it or they're it. just like what's happening yeah, yeah I've no idea it's the worst thing we've ever seen but that was the best thing i've ever seen that
0: and, and there's no one at all that goes to edinburgh not thinking i've got it this year this yeah. is going to be the one so that's it's all the more because it's it's weird it's similar with uh, uh, south by southwest for musicians people go out they're like this is where all the industry are going to be this is going to be our big break but it's also where there's going to be hundreds of other bands with the same goal yeah and just by N- numbers. You can't all get your break that year. In fact, it has to be a tiny, tiny percentage, and it's it's similar. with, oh, with Edinburgh, you have Edinburgh, to though. go
1: there. I think going this is may well make no difference to my career, but what it yeah. should do, hopefully, is make a difference to me artistically. That's the yeah. thing yeah. where and and once you can remove. I mean, I used to find that when I'd go up there, I couldn't eat solids for about two weeks. I yeah. could have thin soup and variety, lots of variety packs of cereal, <laughs> maybe twice a day, just enough sugar to yeah. keep you going. Uh, a kind of general sense of nausea i would walk the long way round to any venue i was at just so i avoided where they would put reviews if they were there where i would either see there were no reviews which meant i either hadn't been reviewed or i had been reviewed badly and they hadn't put them up or i walked past one which i did oh that's good oh i didn't get what i meant all of these things, ridiculous things so but that year i so i was doing this show where and also to be fair as well for the first 10 days it took me 10 days to really work out what it was yeah for the final 2 weeks I think it was a good show for the first 10 days it was difficult um and-,
0: and and when you're not sure what a show that ends with beating a a melon to death with your bare hands when you're not sure when you're not sure what that sh- show is that's a, that's a tough ending. And to, I got a
1: very, very solid melon. I never yeah. got, I never skimped on that. <laughs> and I used to get... And it would be exci- At the end, it was really exciting because some people, You could, if I walked into the bar afterwards, they'd kind of get out of the way because they'd think they'd just seen someone who was constantly having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. Little realising that on stage, that wasn't a nervous breakdown, but for the other 23 hours of the day, yeah. I could no longer talk to people except when I was on stage. So if I was on stage, yeah. if someone said, do you want to come for a drink? I would go... And then I'd start to, like, just get confused and I'd have to leave and just go and drink on my own. I I, uh, I,
0: had, I had that in, in my one year at Edinburgh. I remember I was speaking to Brett Goldstein mm. before I went up there, and I love Brett. I think he's great. And I was like, I'm not going to party that much or drink that much. He was like, everyone says that. It never really happens. I think I had two nights out the whole time I was up there because of a similar thing. Any time I'd go to, I'd be like... I don't know what's going on. You know, it was just that overwhelming thing of feeling... You find
1: the right pubs. Event. That's yeah. the thing is, I mean, I remember one year where uh, staying in a flat with the uh, lovely Carrie Quinlan and uh, we would every now and again just go and buy a bottle of whiskey that we'd never heard of before yeah. and then sit in the flat, uh, missing out all the partying and all that stuff. In yeah. fact, I remember the, the Edinburgh Award or the Perrier, whatever it was called at the time, and I had an invite to it. When you're a kid, you'd go, oh, I wish I had an invite. Oh, Why well, have too, you yeah. got an invite? And now, finally, I could get it invites to that not asked there would they be and i walked past someone are you coming in i went no this is what you're doing i went well i've got some new whiskey and i was chatting to someone and we can't work out where the best version of first cut is the deepest is <laughs> so we're gonna and so we sat just there were three of us i think with a bottle of whiskey and going well i don't know if, i don't think it is rod stewart That's so let listen to david essex's again pp P. arnold still has the edge as far as i'm you know we did yeah, and yeah, that yeah, yeah. I suppose it's once something is attainable, then it's, uh, you know, the the exotic nature can be lost. But it was... So anyway, doing that show, I'm going to try and get back to what I was saying. um, One of the things I did... Before I ask
0: another question that's related to it, go for another test.
1: This is, uh, I would read from uh, A Little Goes a Long Way by Sid Little, which is his autobiography. Sid Little was this kind of uh you know like my native american spirit guide uh within the show every now and again there'll be little bits of sid little little things that he'd learn on the way these little moments where when he'd been to a curry house and met cliff richard all of these things and i would have i think in the background i had some music by philip glass yeah, And because I was going a bit mad with the show, I thought, well, this is a fun thing to do. So I would go around charity shops and I would buy old copies of the TV Times uh, from 1978, weird little books, Mills and Boone, and I would go and do late-night gigs where I would pick a piece of kind of portentous, gothic or peculiar music, bombastic music, and then I would read listings, magazines, like melodramatic, yeah listing magazine listing magazine readings or these odd kind of lifestyle guides and while I was doing a lot of these late night clubs I would look around and go wow that's a great act and that's a great act and these acts don't fit on the circuit so how does someone when Edinburgh's here here is this huge amount like when I was saying when I first was reading listings magazines before I was even allowed to go to London yeah. I would look and think what do these people do what is this bizarre you know exotica that lies in the subterranean world and so I thought well I should start a club which is just because I think that's part of what happened was comedy I think a lot of the stuff on television and a lot there was a lot of cynicism yeah there was I think increasingly people who were going into comedy because it's kind of a career decision and for me the most important thing and I've realized it more and more the older I've got is anyone who does it because they must you know, I think everyone that you've been on the bill with yeah. in the shows that I put together, they do it because they must. Yeah. And there are people yeah. like Joanna Neary, who is one of my favourite performers yeah. and is not nearly – she should be so much more popular. People should know her because she is proper, proper, funny bones, inventiveness. Uh, the, she does this lovely old wartime song, 1940s star wartime song, uh, which would be kind of thing sung by Cicely Courtenidge called Do You Remember Pop," which is delightful. Yeah. Um, and I would see all these acts and I think, right, I want to put them on. So I started this club called The Book Club and I think the first night I went on and I said many people tonight are going to be experimenting, they're going to be doing different things, they're going to be doing things they've never done before and I think the most important thing for you to know when you're watching them is that sometimes you watch them and you think, oh, I, don't, I don't, didn't really like that. And what you must always remember when you have that moment going, I didn't really like that, is to remember that you are wrong. <laughs> and what I wanted was I, th- I thought more and more there were c- some of the club promoters that I knew from years ago they would watch all the acts yeah. and sometimes they wouldn't book an act that done really well because they didn't really like the cut of their jib their politics or something about yeah. them there was something they thought that's not fa- our club there was that sense of you know, yeah. curation or whatever and th- then it increasingly seemed to become oh I'll just stay outside the door he's getting big laughs he's getting big laughs it's fine yeah And it seemed to lose some... I I think the idea that everything has to be... When we go out for a night out, we want to guarantee it's going to work. Now, as you know, anything that is guaranteed to work night after night after night with no risk whatsoever will ultimately very probably be mundane. Yeah. yeah, That if someone starts from that, if if their starting point as an artist is, what do the audience want? Yeah. Then... And if they never break away from that. Yeah, and so I wanted to put these acts that I thought, they do it because they've gone, I've had an idea and it's quite stupid. You know, Josie, yes. I did loads. Of I was going to say,
0: one of the great examples is, is Josie. And from a very early, early start in her career, and she started at a very early age, I, I tie you two together because it feels like, are you with someone that that provided somewhere for someone... I I like Josie and it's key there you're mentioning initially of of how a lot of comedy at that point was rooted a lot in cynicism and Josie was not that at all Josie was the the happy young at 16 and 17 just doing I remember I think I saw her three times in a, a week and a bit and I think in over that that three times I think she managed to get maybe four or five actual jokes out and the rest was just distracted by something yeah. a t-shirt that someone had on or and just going off on an excited ramble and d- absolutely w- wonderful shows but um yeah no, and she it, is it needed great a home she like is that.
1: really uh you know because she'd gone around touring with Stuart Lee as well uh by yeah. that point cuz he'd immediately seen there was something in her and just that thing that she would go on and and the level of risk taking And also the i mean the amount of horrible abuse she's had as well unfortunately on the internet shows that what she does is very important and exciting because people see it as a threat it's a bit like you remember i I wrote a a blog post a while ago and and i I, you know begged you to retweet it (laughs) try and get someone (laughs) and it was about watching samuel beckett it was about watching uh, lisa dwan in the beckett trilogy in toronto and seeing how cross some people were and you go he's been dead for 30 years but his work is still so potent that it is both celebrated but it has not become part of just oh it's just now this mundane yeah. industry yeah. where we all go i went to see went have got it, it was and still very range. jolly yeah the, you see not I uh, you see this apparently disembodied mouth and people are going I don't know where this is at all when does it end what is this what is this yeah. and I think that's why you know Josie very unfairly got some you know as well as getting many many awards as well of and of course also some of that comes from you know the innate misogyny amongst uh, <laughs> social media as well certain elements of it but that that's her there was a lovely act called Gorka Go yeah uh, Paul Garner and and Sarah they used to do these wonder they create these fantastic puppets the great they, they used to the one that sometimes got on telly was one called Elvis, who was the Elephant Man Elvis so <laughs> it was this wonderful felt suit that he would wear which was a mixture of neurofibromatosis uh, and also rhinestones and a rhinestone <laughs> suit and and, and, he, and, he, and he just called thank you very much thank you very much you've all been very kind you've all been very kind thank you very much um, yeah. and it was very, and, he, and and Dolly Parton who was half Dolly Parton and half Salvador Dali Liberani sense. half the t- Terminator half Liberace (laughs) and all of these, you know, they started as puns, but they became magnificent, full bodied, full felt creations. Um, and I think that was it. Was at that point that I realised I had maybe been I'd reached a point where I was chasing the wrong thing and I'd yeah. gone in the wrong direction. And then so I started the book club. And then I thought, I wonder if there's a way you can do this where rather than you know take also books that I love, not just books that I, I mean I still love a lot of the bad books that I'd read yeah. from, but I, you know these books of science or philosophy. Can I start to create something like a honey trap where if I put on some comedians, I could put on some musicians that maybe friends that you know audience don't know, and yeah. I could put on some scientists. So again, in this little kind of seller uh, on Ben Goldacre yeah. and you would have a night where I mean he also was terrible on timing we were talking yeah. about people yeah, yeah, who yeah, overrun yeah, yeah. and uh but
0: also I've never seen I'm, I'm excited uh, we've been trying to ar- ar- arrange a podcast for a good year now and we keep going back and forth and just hasn't happened but part of my excitement is to see how slowly I can make him talk on, on record just because every time I've seen him at any of your events I think because he's overrun in the past he will get through a 30-minute presentation in about 10 minutes purely by... he won't cut a single thing that he wanted to say. He will just say it all incredibly quickly. Yeah, everyone has to record it on their pace. phone
1: and listen to it over and over again. And yeah. that's what part of... I mean, again, that, that we do it because we must. That's not just a showbiz thing. That's also as a, an epidemiologist yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, the way that... Whether it's, you know, Professor Brian Cox, whether it's, you know, uh, Alice Roberts, whether it's Ben Goldacre, Lucy Cook, whoever it might or be. S- Simon Sciences. Singh
0: was one that just... The, the first Singh, yeah. one I did, and I've had him on the podcast now, but the first... One, oh, I did just seeing him get up there and just talk about the Enigma machine yeah. and stuff like that. And it was just like, wow. See, that's so bloody cool this as is well as it's relatively isn't it? quite simple, but it's I didn't know it at all. And it's one, you know, once the way he explains it, at least this all seems quite simple. It's like, I know that now. I should have known that before. There's no reason. It's not like, and there will be s- some things at these events that I go, that was that was above me and that's yeah. fine that's like, that, that, that that that's quite nice and exciting and the, and the beauty of the way these events work is if there is something that you're feeling out of your depth with you know that in a minute someone's going to come out and make you laugh yeah. and you'll feel all right again. And you're, you're part of the room again. You're not the idiot in the room. And know. there's
1: loads of people feeling like that as well. Yeah. I think people don't, yeah, there's a certain point, yeah. Brian very often will get to something within, you know, whether it's cosmology or particle physics, where I know not just the non-scientists in the audience, but even the <laughs> physicists who go, well, I haven't read that paper. I'm not entirely sure if I understand the equation he's just used. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's, it's wonderful. So, 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 so that gr- gr- grew and grew from, so essentially, a place to put on more unusual comedy or performance acts to a place to incorporate science and,
1: and, and all these other things. It's and, all thanks to Sid Little. Music. All of this, the reason that we're talking <laughs> together now is because of Sid Little's Little Goes a Long Way. I,
0: I mean, I, I love the beauty as well, and you touched upon it perfectly, it's, it's something that I've had to do with spoken word nights in the early days the fact that you feel you have to trick people into this enjoyable event and 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 we'd have that we'd have two acoustic singer-songwriters on or three acoustic singer-songwriters and in between just you know you wouldn't be doing anything anyway th- th- there's going to be a poet or two as, as if it's a real mm. p- putting you at a real disposition to have to sit through a poet and then by the end of the year or two of doing that, you could just have poets on and people were okay and would come, but you didn't have to trick them. But it's but a that weird that thing that biggest... you do, do have to do that, trick people to come in and then go, no, see, it is okay to listen to science or it is okay to listen to this or that, or a, a, a protest song. Grace Petrie is is another one who has done so many events with you and is always Oh, I love, huge, you know, Grace is ...just great. goes down a tree. And it's been enjoyable. My brief interactions with her, watching what she is taking from doing it, because she's developing her comedy ch- mm. chops as well. There's good little ad-libs and little bits in between and intros and that, that originally should come out, all right, I'm a yeah. protest singer, here's my song. And now it's more...
1: There's there's a lot going on there, and that's oh, that's exciting to see. We've been on the Now Show and things like that. But, yeah. but that's an... I think that thing of we now live in a world where as much as there is more choice, it's easier to get access to so many bands yeah. and so many poets, so many comedians. Yeah. But because even the way your internet works, which is to go, Oh, you've done a search. Well, don't worry. We've already refined this search. This yeah. search is going to direct you to what you want. And when you read about things like there was a friend of mine who did some radio course and he was told how many different, uh, 83 different songs. I think it was on the, uh, um, the, on a commercial radio station in a month yeah 83 and that's because someone already has made the decision that you're not going to like a lot of you're not going to like yeah. these new Puritans these new Puritans you know when, when I listened to you. Six Music yesterday listening to Keris Matthews the stuff that and then Giles Peep and I'm going what a bloody oh, there's too much music yeah, yeah and yet for most people there isn't there's 83 songs and you, you know that song you remember happily from 1978 that's the song everyone else has chosen from 1978 yeah, yeah. no one else has any other memory we are in charge of your nostalgia and i think that ability to say to people right this look, one of my favorite things of the shows that we did at hammersmith at the end of last year in the 2015 uh we had we had new order closing one night which you know we had Char- charlotte church doing some great Alison Moye just t- turning up and we had this uh basically the hackney colliery band pretty much steve steve pretty it wasn't actually yeah. Hackney Colliery band yeah, but yeah, steve yeah, pretty yeah. the leader and uh at that and we had a uh, classical music quartet as well a uh Amazing. um and it was a guy called Jack Liebeck, who's a apparently very renowned violinist. I, I didn't know of him, uh, but Brian had met him at an event. And of all the things that went on that night, of all the explosions that occurred, all of the the visualisations that were created of things deep, deep, deep in our universe, the thing that had the most people commenting was... What was a piece of music done by that quartet? Who are that quartet? What yeah. is this? This was amazing. Like they did a Dvorak and they did a Borodin piece. Um, and I real, I thought, what is it? And then I realised, of course, most of our audience they have now seen yeah. scientists, they have seen comedians. They it's have, what they've come expecting. They've never. Seen classical music live, and it's, so just four musicians, four musicians playing something beautifully, playing something that's composed beautifully, playing that just with a few images. The images we didn't. In the second night we didn't even bother with the images. We yeah. we didn't even need that. All they were going was what is this new thing of beauty that it's, I thought wasn't for me.
0: it's It feels terribly egocentric to to, to bring it back to myself here, but it's similar it's podcast. to <laughs> it's, it's similar to when. Um, a Thou shalt Always Kill was played on XFM by John Kennedy, and he was the first person ever to play it. And he got, he said at the time, the most requests or the most texts he's ever had. And that to me was like, it's not because it's the best song you've ever played. It's just because no one was expecting it. So again, it wasn't a case of oh, we've got the most requests or most texts because we're better than who else was big at the time, the gossip or the, the 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 kooks or whoever—it's because we were so different from them—and i said it was that unexpected thing—and and and that's exactly it. There you go. You now, and it's what a sentence to get to say. You've now built an event that you can sell thousands of tickets for people to come and see science and p- political speech and protest songs and all this kind of thing. But they weren't expecting this amazing yeah. classical quartet. That's yeah. That's A beautiful thing,
1: it's yeah, that, that's uh, th- But then each time we think because we weren't going to do one this year, yeah. And then Brian, I knew this would happen after he played keyboards with New Order and had a bit of champagne at the bar. <laughs> of course, I, as usual, just went back to my room and drank some whiskey yeah. while listening to various different things. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing has changed in 10 years, yeah. and uh, there was you know, he went, Oh, everyone really loves it, we should do one. I went, All right, tomorrow I'll check Hammersmith's availability, yeah. And then the moment that because that's the one problem is after it's over my adrenaline just drops entirely, yeah. disappears. I become quite grumpy. Yeah. And even when we had The Cure on in 2014, people come up to the bar going, oh my God, you're the, you must be over the moon. I went, no, I was over the moon for 10 minutes. And then I thought, we exactly the The fucking s- Cure on. Who do we get next year? Was, Who do we
0: find? I was exactly the same. I, I played that one and I loved watching The Cure and I was in the bar afterwards and similarly... I left before almost everyone else and just went and sat in my hotel room, having had a lovely night. Yeah. And um, I had a good chat with. I said it was the first time I'd really got to chat with Ben Goldacre and Steve Pretty. And for some reason, I still don't know why. But but, but Pixie Lott was there, and she came up and said she'd really enjoyed it. But literally, I was like, still I was like, I'd had that complete drop. I was like, everyone's having a wonderful time. I'm gonna go and sit in my hotel room and pop a film on and, 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 and go to sleep. But sometimes
1: yeah. the the yeah to assimilate just the silence. I, I've yeah. always found the after show it's a lovely idea and it's nice to be having fun, but that that you know solitary whiskey drinking can yeah. be required. I mean
0: we're almost an hour in and, and we've not even mentioned the the art of podcasting, which you are <laughs> something of, of royalty in from numerous different podcasts. And let's talk about it because I I genuinely think that not just because i have one but i think podcasts are a hugely important development in the way we're consuming and taking in information whether it be educational political news-based i think the fact that our so many of our sources of getting information out had become so restricted in ownership you know in 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 agenda it whether it's the newspapers or the ch- the channels, the fact that podcasts podcasting things come along that anyone can do, and there's no censor, s- there's no there's no mm. middleman, there's nothing in the middle. I think it's hugely important and exciting. And 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 you guys with uh, Brian, obviously with Infinite Monkey Cage, and with Josie with 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 utter Shambles, and with Michael, and just with so many different ones. It's it's an amazing time, an amazing um, media, right? To just go right. Th- we're now in connection with everyone in the world. Mm. Therefore, nothing is too niche. You know, it, it, it's it's arrogant to think that what I'm into, I'm the only person in the whole galaxy who could possibly be into it. There is a market for everything in that way, and a market's a horrible term for it. But there is, an there audience. are people out there, who, want an to audience. Hear. Yeah. yeah, there is an audience for everything there, whether it be big or small. So, how has that that been for you? And you were you and or with Infinite Monkey Cage, obviously, as a radio show, but then finding an, another life as well as a podcast it's kind of you feel well, like yeah, you were the one first of the one would have been Josie, though. really
1: we, yeah. we, that, that was years ago when we did other shambles and that was a lot of fun but i think it's now i think it's the best version we've done now the book shambles because yeah. what again it's the excitement of so many of the things we do are the equivalent of making what for my generation would have been a mixtape for a possible new partner I think these things yeah, are cool. Yeah. I've made this for you. And what you can do with a yeah. podcast is just do that over and over again. Like with the book shambles where we've done, you know, we've had Chris Hadfield on and uh, we've had Mark Gatiss and Stuart Lee and Sarah Pascoe. And we just, the starting point is books. I suddenly thought we should theme this a bit more than just a shambles. What does Josie like? What do I like? We both yeah. love books. We love reading. Let's do a thing where that's the starting point. And what is exciting is, one, people going, please stop making them. I've had to make a list of more books that I yeah. need. It's costing yeah. me a bloody <laughs> fortune, right? And the fact that you go this little, because that's what the older I've got. Now that I'm definitely at least halfway through my life, uh, there's a point where I think I want things to have a bit more purpose than just entertainment. I want things to be entertaining, Mm. but I want things whether it's a live show, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a radio show. There is no kind of greater joy than someone coming up to you and going oh by the way i've decided i'm going to go to university and study this or the reason i've gone back to this or the reason i've realized this is a thing of beauty or you know those shows where someone says oh by the way i bet you've had it where someone their first date was coming to one of your shows and they're now going to get married all of those different things that create some sense also of a community and i think for a lot of what we do we have a certain number of people who previously one would have considered to be slightly on the outside slightly on the periphery not necessarily the mainstream who would feel comfortable in walking into any old pub you know those people yeah. who when you go into something which is extreme you know the, the most mainstream pub possible you realize that people are turning around going who's, who's that, that freak yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so i think that is is a great thing that something which perhaps now the way that radio and television have gone which is to iron out a lot of these kinks podcasts can now go ah the kinks have been ironed out but don't worry yeah. we're gonna make even more kinks boom, yeah. boom 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 you hear here at all the kinks and uh and the, that sharing – I mean, it's so – when you get the, the the emails from people and the, the tweets from people, it has meant something to them. And also yeah. the fact that with book shambles, because we're not uh, – we have control of who we have on. Now, quite a few people probably won't know the poet Selena Godden. Yeah. If we were making this show for Radio 4, then they might go, well – I mean, you could have seen the on if you also have another guest, yeah, yeah, or something like that, or even someone like Laura Dockrill, who's you know yeah. very former poet, still doing some poetry, you know, and also now very successful Amazing writer, as an author
0: as well. Because that's
1: what I think I talked about it when we did that counterculture thing, yeah. where. I watched an old episode of Parkinson and on that episode of Parkinson uh, was Diana Dawes, the uh, 1950s, you know, the, sw- sw- the, the most glamorous woman to ever come from Swindon. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, this, this film star and, uh, you know, hanging around in the strange nightclubs of Soho in the 1960s. You know, Diana Dawes was one of our icons and also there was Ian Dury. Ian Dury taught painting by Peter Blake. Uh, Ian Dury, you know, art school and at the same time it, it, the cutting edge of music creating incredible... And there, next to him, was Arthur Scargill, the leader of the National <laughs> Union of Miners. Now, that can't exist on television anymore. Yeah. They they won't allow it. No, if you and also things, it has to be preferably comedians or the very famous. Yeah. Someone who we again the guarantee of entertainment.
0: Comedian, yeah, ex- exactly. There's there's some a level of lenience, oh, not on many sh- shows really, but every now and then, from a, a, a musical point of view, you can have someone that maybe isn't huge yet but 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 they want to be able to put their stamp on we we had them before they got big kind of thing on there but
1: sorry by the way there's an alarm going off and we don't know where that comes from it's somewhere in the house and there's no reason for it (laughs) just so you know
0: i love it it's exciting (laughs) it's the it's 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 I mean, it's 2.22 for me. Is it 2.20 maybe? It's probably $2.20 2.22. Now?
1: It might be 2.22. That might have been the time where many years ago, that's when the muffins were ready. Just, yeah, but all the time. we don't twos, know how to turn it off or where together. it
0: is. I was panicking as I, obviously, I have t- t- two watches <laughs> on. I was like, I don't think it's coming from me, but statistically, it's likely to be coming from me because of my increased chance of that. But, um, yeah, no, I completely agree, and it's the beauty of podcasts, and it's what I talk about on here a lot, and it's beautiful when you build that audience, as you said, that are that, it means that much to them and have that connection that they will just tune in now regardless of who it is that that they, they won't go who's this selena woman they'll go i enjoy this i'm going to listen i'm going to take it as my as a recommendation and take that th- that on board so it gives you that opportunity to go just trust me just trust me this is this is something good and, positivity and her book, is her, her, her
1: is. autobiography is fascinating. I won't yeah. give any more details, and we did it on Book Shambles. But that's – and then, you know, I do a podcast, which we've still not – it's meant to be edited, but it's still not been finished. We've recorded 12 of them with Grace, yeah. uh, where, you know, it gives people hopefully a chance to – and conversations with Alan Moore. So it's me doing some stand-up, and then conversation with Alan Moore, and then Amazing. Alan sometimes does poetry, which he might have only publicly performed once or twice before, and we're waiting for that to go out. I loved, it. That, I loved
0: it when I had Alan on, on, on here on he was one of my first guests on here and um it was one of my favorite moments because I I I, I I I knew him i didn't know him that well but i felt i knew him well enough to have some fun with him because there was a point where he mentioned a particular poem that um and i kind of i met alan th- through your shows again but b- but also his daughter amber is a big mm. fan and has come to our shows and she got a, t- a tattoo of one of my lyrics so i was always like well that's cool make sure you you played a video f, f, for that song to, to your dad because constantly just wanting to impress Alan, just yeah, just yeah. trying to get involved. And he mentioned, he's like, he was talking about his starting off and doing poetry and he was saying, and there's like, there's a piece now that I've not performed in 30 years, yet I could still do it a drop of a hat. And I'm like, that's clearly someone saying, do you want me to? Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. just played it a bit. I kind of, I talked a bit more, then kept coming back to it. And it was like, I was like, could you do it now? And it's not, I did it. I, I paused enough times to kind of tease him into not yeah. getting to it. And again, it's one of the highlights of the podcast. People will reference it regularly of him doing um, Old Gangsters and Never Die was the one on that one. But again, yeah, that's amazing and exciting. That's that's that podcasts, it's beautiful. Again, it's what it's what excites me about. And it's finding the right teams and pairings. The fact that someone like Alan who I remember when you first put me in touch with him to talk about doing the podcast, I had to ring him on his landline and I couldn't ring at a certain time because that's, cause that's when he has his bath. And just things that he like, you know, doesn't do technology, isn't an email guy, isn't a social media guy. The beauty that's, that someone like Alan can be brought to more people at this point mm-hmm. through podcasts is it's a wonderful thing, a wonderful meeting of, of worlds that should possibly have never logically met but sit so perfectly together.
1: Well, that's like the magazine he did, Dodgham Logic. Yeah. You know, that had such a... I remember once when, when Dodgham Logic was no longer getting made and then someone apparently had approached him from some computer company or whatever, saying, we could do a kind of you know uh, iBook version and we can do a lot of exciting things with it. And Alan initially, he must have just had the phone call that day because he, he went, oh, it might be quite interesting. And I thought, He's never going to go with this. And of course, he, he went, you know, it's like this thing where you turn a page on the on the Kindle or whatever and the bit where the light bulb switches on will suddenly switch on. And he thought, hang on, all of this can be done with the imagination. Yeah. All of yeah, this can be done in yeah. a more Luddite manner.
0: Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, well, I, I, I don't want to get, get off podcast. and I'm, I'm going to, but before I do, can we just talk about the radio podcast and podcast and Infinite Monkey Cage mm. and coming together with Brian Cox at a time when he was... His star was ascending. Pardon the the, the punning um, terminology. Um, how's that been? And how's I, well, one of the most stunning things at, at one of the, the the Hammersmith shows was the fact that there were people like the Cure. There was all sorts of people, but probably the biggest Beatlesque reaction was to Mr. Cox walking yeah. on stage to talk some science, which. How beautiful
1: is that? Hadfield always knocks him into a cocktail, hat, though. Once you introduce Chris Hadfield, once you've got an astronaut... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah Who yeah, cares about us. the bloke from CERN? <laughs> um, well, that's that's been really interesting, I think, because partly when we started it, he wasn't famous. Yeah. And by the end of the second or third series, I would tell him, if we were walking down the street and he got a phone call, that he mustn't stop and take the call. He had to keep moving. He'd reach that point yeah, yeah. where people were going, is, that, is, it, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah if he stops God. still, a um, or... and I, and it has been because sometimes it, it the pressure of doing it has got more uh, he doesn't notice it but i i I notice it because he's one that he's he's very typical scientist like that he just kind of wanders through life and everything's just fine and i didn't (laughs) notice that man being cruel or setting fire to that thing everything's lovely and uh he genuinely just won't won't notice and you know i used to say in stand-up that he is the kind of person that i will hold his elbow when crossing the road because he (laughs) will get halfway across and suddenly there just be a distraction. So that i think we're lucky because we have a lot of similar you know he is obviously he's smart i'm not you know very very smart and he genuinely is absolutely wonderful at explaining ideas and it is again he does it because he must there is no if you ask him a question and it's an area of his knowledge the excitement he has in imparting that particular tale of yeah. neutrinos or muons or gluons or whatever it might be and then also the fact that he will we once did a thing there was jim alkali and him and i thought in hammersmith we'll do who wins radio 4's life scientific or radio 4's infinite mug cage i'll ask them both questions and the fastest person to do replies to each one give definitions of various different scientific theories and ideas wins yeah. and of course brian only did one Because he'll go, oh, well, uh, the reason there has to be a speed limit uh, for the universe is... Now, this also, if we go back for... And he can't stop him because he wants to say... (laughs) So we're both driven, I think, by a real desire to uh, learn as much as possible, share as as many ideas as possible, have ridiculous arguments uh, about sometimes pointless and sometimes very important things, and also the fact that we both believe that the universe and, you know, everything that is part of anything that we can see and anything we can imagine, all of these different scientific ideas make the world a far more invigorating exciting place to live in. So the more that you know, you know, we always used to come back to the Richard Feynman, wonderful Nobel Prize-winning physicist Richard Feynman, the bit at the beginning of The Pleasure of Finding Things Out documentary where he talks about the fact that the beauty of a flower is not removed by understanding more about why a flower is as it is scientifically. And I think that's that's one of the things that we always come back to, which yeah. is... And there was, I mean, the the Christmas special we did, which was a, a lot of uh, fun, but in a very... I'll give you the background, too. It's a, it was quite a bizarre day. We recorded the Christmas special. It was one of those days, two days after the counterculture event we did. Yes. And uh, so... I get to the. I've, I've written the basic ideas of what we're going to do. Just some load of ideas on on my laptop. I get to uh, the BBC. Turn on my laptop. It's dead. Totally dead. There's nothing. Oh wow. There. Uh, and we're recording also a show about general relativity, and uh, then we're recording the Christmas show about Doctor Who, and uh, also I seem to have some kind of stomach upset. I've something. I've eaten something. And, I and don't it, know. For Some reason
0: it feels to me as if as if you- for all of these things you will have to prepare meticulously have it all planned know what you're doing and Brian will be able to just turn up and be no
1: do you know what right. the fun thing is you prepare but haphazardly so every yeah. time like I've just had to write a column about um, entropy yeah. and I love being asked to do those things because everyone who asks me to do anything knows I'm not an expert yeah. what they say is do you want to go on a journey to write some stuff yeah. yeah, and so I just had this day of going through all these different books has this got entropy in it yeah oh that's an interest oh I've just realised Philip K Dick mentions entropy in the yeah. beginning of and all of these these chains these just spreading further and further. And then as well as having the stomach upset as well, uh, it turned out that was – my mother was about to die and we didn't know she was going to die within 24 hours as it was. It was was, was going to be much longer than that. And it was one of the strangest days of – I tried to write about it. I tried to write a blog post about it and I kind of put up a half-assed thing because I still don't really understand it, that somehow my mind – could separate into all these different things. The computer, it didn't matter. Someone said to me, "Oh, I am sorry, Are you okay about your computer breaking?" I think, do you know what? Today is a day I don't give a fuck about my computer yeah, breaking. Yeah, yeah. I can retrieve most of these things from my mind. Yeah. And then every time that we were doing anything about general relativity or the nature of time in Doc Two, or whatever, I was absolutely fine. And every moment that I was no longer having to perform or create. Yeah. Then reality hit. And I, it was one of those moments, you know, when you you kind of realise that actually when people go, oh, being an entertainer, or whatever is hard. And you go, no, the hardest bit is the rest of it. Is the not, yeah, actually, the bits
0: when you're turning off or you're off stage. Yeah. You're
1: turning off, you're scared, all of those things. The actual bit where you are being scrutinised, as terrifying as that can sometimes be, where you feel something's gone slightly awry, yeah. nevertheless, that is the easiest time to live. It takes such a
0: high level of focus that it, uh, generally uh, many people in these kind of areas are, um, uh, uh, are victims of over analysis or over overthinking in general so those moments where you have to focus completely on this one thing yeah it's kind of a nice break it's yeah. kind of a peaceful and then moment. every now and
1: again that the other bit of you can just fuck off you bit i'm it's relying on working, the id now it's for called in now stop <laughs> but it was what was what was so bizarre there was a reason i brought this up i think but mm. it was it's so we're sitting there And beforehand, I'm not as, normally I'm quite gregarious in the green room beforehand because I want everyone to feel at ease, I want to chat to all the scientists and I don't want them to be scared. One of the most incredible things to do monkey cages, we have people on, some of whom have won Nobel Prizes and go, I'm very scared about doing this. Going, we're not here to belittle you. We're not going to mock you. We yeah. just going to have fun. Yeah. We have a fun conversation. And Paul Nurse, who is a wonderful, well, you should interview Paul Nurse. Yeah. He 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 uh, uh, shared the Nobel Prize for Chemistry in what oh, yeah, I can't remember what year that was. And he's also involved in the Francis Crick Institute. He's the head of the uh, um, Royal Society. And we were doing an event recently under the Cutty Sark. Do you know what? I love doing events under an old tea cutter. Yeah. So it's a lovely environment to be in. And uh, telling AC Grayling off for being drunk at one point. And uh, <laughs> the That's my life. That's my fucking life. Can you believe it? That that's one of those moments where you go, This is preposterous. And Paul Nurse kept going, No, but what you do? And I was going, You've won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. I do some jokes. Yeah. And it's fascinating when you see that anything that our mind is able to create, we will consider to be banal, mundane, or easily reachable for everyone else. Yeah. And that I was there with Liz Bonning in between Paul and me, increasingly furiously arguing about the excellence of the other person yeah and he's still and it's that bit where you realize that everyone has imposter syndrome anyone anyone with humanity i think ultimately has what you have to try and control it but you meet people who have changed the ability of human beings the the length of human beings lives people who have made sure that children millions of children haven't died because of some new piece of technology and they still go yeah well and you go this is crazy so we're doing this show anyway we're doing the christmas show and i it's the first time ever that i've actually had diarrhea while recording a show and also knowing that i'm about to get into a cab to go back and as i said as as it as it turned out unfortunately my mum died uh, 24 hours later and and i found it just it was a very uh It's um, incredible the way adrenaline works because, first of all, I think the show was good. I've not been able to go back and listen to it yet. And my brain didn't go into autopilot, Mm. as far as I know. It it was still creating things. The one moment was I had to start the show by saying, uh, right, just so you know, uh, this can be a controlled experiment to find out how long Imodium uh, lasts (laughs) and does it last long enough to do a whole... So it was set up and then Brian kept uncorking the sherry bottle we had there.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And then 50 minutes into the show... I suddenly go, oh, this is not going to... And I turn to Fay Dowker, wonderful Imperial College great mastery and understanding of of many intricate um, ideas of physics. I said, you know, the nature of time has been, our understanding of that has changed so much over the last hundred years. And I wonder how you feel that the actual, the physics, the practical physics of our understanding of the nature of time changes fiction such as Doctor Who. And you can answer that question for as long as you want. And then just left the stage (laughs) and then came back. And when I came back, the Dean of Guild, former Dean of Guild Cathedral, Victor Stock, was talking about the nature of Jesus. So what it turns out... Infinite monkey cage in a very roundabout way, which involves mortality and stupidity, is uh, that when I leave it, it turns out that we go straight from physics into the nature of Jesus and the Bible. Which, who would so it thought? turns out Brian Cox may well be the le- loose cog in yeah, that whole thing. Yeah,
0: he's, he's not holding
1: it together there. um But it was a—it's it's an incredible, bizarre thing where it's the first time I've experienced that where the way that adrenaline mucks around yeah, with it and the way s- that you can do that you can still function and sometimes you go surely I should not be functioning now surely I should not is it wrong yeah. is this some showbiz arrogance what is it that allows me to function when actually one of the major and the worst kind of events that we have to face yeah. is around the corner
0: there's a guy I've been uh, listening to a lot on and reading a, a lot on recently called Wim Hof. I don't know if you are oh, f- familiar with him. a
1: Dutch guy,
0: and he's known as the, as the Ice Man. And he's he's developed these breathing techniques to just have control of so much of his um his 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 reaction and cells and all sorts. And a, a lot of it is based around adrenaline. Is is, is what made me th- think of it. And he did he did this test on on Joe Rogan's podcast where he got Joe to do this breathing technique and then. Just hold his breath for as long as he could, and he held his breath for like two and a half m- minutes, which was hugely longer than he would have normally. And then, the, then the adrenaline from that just had him all wired f- for the rest of the, the show. But Wim Hof has used these techniques himself. To he's climbed Everest in his boxer shorts, um, and just he's he's known as the Ice Man because it's all he's his his thing is a, a huge belief that our cells can be controlled a lot more than we allow them to. And he's recently two different. A universities in, in Holland. Again, he was kind of a joke guy, like that weird old guy that can do all this stuff. And then he did controlled tests in in universities. And one, he was inside a big block of ice. And through his breathing techniques, he managed to increase his internal heat. And just, just stuff like that, and this, this weird control. But a lot of that, he was saying, is through adrenaline and through the, the greater understanding and controlling of your own levels and your own percentages but it's an amazing thing as you said and I've had that at gigs where I've broken my ribs numerous times on gigs and I'll be doing a gig with broken ribs and up until the first song my ribs hurt after the last song my ribs hurt during the gig I can do anything because when do they start
1: hurting because they don't hurt immediately after the gig no
0: no Or, or, or the worst one was I was so I'd been so convinced I was all right I stage dived again and then I got back to the a dressing room and had to have no one in the dressing room for about half an hour cuz the adrenaline coming off i needed to take a lot of deep breaths the the deep breaths were expended, ex- expanding my injured ribs so it was just me laying on the floor breathing and crying for about half an hour because each deep breath was just incredible pain and isn't that a terrible
1: thing adrenaline adrenaline that was there to make sure we survive (laughs) and now instead of using it to survive we use it to show off more effectively exactly it's great
0: what you were saying as as well though and it's weird because i was thinking of this this morning I'm, i'm spending a lot of time at home on my own and this is the kind of thing i'm walking around thinking about but what you were saying there about arguing over the the compliments that you were getting effectively from a nobel prize winner and I was thinking similarly this morning, I was thinking i'm proud of my work ethic and that I work hard, other than that, i can't feel I can take responsibility or credit for the quality of my work because that's just something that happens to have happened you know what I mean? it's just yeah. like and and you're just i'm sure it'll be similar with you that you happen to be able to compare really well and engage and funny things it's not something that necessarily there's obviously experience but still it's not the same as thinking i've studied and studied and studied and developed this i happen that when i write it seems to be stuff that people enjoy
1: Yes, yeah, like I feel like I can't take that.
0: I've I've been bought. Yeah, the athletic if someone's thing.
1: athletic and you go and they got up at five every morning yeah. and they had their twenty-seven egg yolks and they ran fifty-nine miles and they lifted this thing. Yeah, whereas ours is kind of, it, if anything, you know, it's this. But there's a
0: thing. There's a great Doug Stanhope bit. Even he's saying cause, and it's quite accurate. But on the Olympics, so much of it is down to, to genetics that there is a amount that that person you will never be able to run as fast as that person because of their their genetics. And he's saying, l- literally, the Olympics should have tallest and, and, and r- run. It's like, oh, we're seeing who's tallest this year. This guy's been trying really hard to be tallest. He's been four months in training, but... No, he's still an inch shorter than this guy. And it's like, it's true. It's, there's, a lot of it is just. Well, in the end, it's you what, to it's be what you with do that. with it,
1: isn't it? Yeah. Because you don't, it's not out of sloppy laziness that you create what you create. Yeah, yeah. There exactly. are, you know, the, the tenacity is always the thing it comes back down to, doesn't yeah. it? Which is most of the people probably that we admire, they, you know, Alan Moore could just sit around, be interviewed every now and again. But as it is, he's, you know, you know right still in Jerusalem, created, which is yeah. longer than the Old Testament of the Bible. And right. he's written the Bumper Book of Magic with Steve Moore and all of those people we know who could kind of just sit and rest on the laurels and be in the way where I said, you know, when I was a teenager or when I was in my 20s rather, and I would just kind of do, you know, 20 minutes at a stand-up gig and doing three in a night feels, oh, that's a lot of effort, isn't it? And then there's a point where you go, I've got to make stuff. And whatever that is, something, whatever yeah. death urge, life urge, whatever, you know, the, the death drive, you go, I want to just make loads of fucking things and I want to feel that there's, whether it gives you a point or not, it does give you, at the end of every day, day, go, oh, good, I made a thing. Yeah, yeah I've done if, something, I can If you haven't made a thing, it. or you haven't done a thing, if you just sat around...
0: I had, I had that at Edinburgh, and, and and the reason I got more writing done on, on a book I'm working on and things like that at Edinburgh was because... It was my first time up there, and when they were booking it, they were like, well, you're here for for 20 days. You know, you should have a day off or two each week. And I was like, well, every day is a day off, isn't it? If I'm doing an hour in the evening, I feel just coming from Essex, I was like, I can't call that a work day. So I was getting up each morning and writing and doing stuff just to be justified that thinking if any of my family knew or found out, it's like, no, I did like... I did a five-hour shift in the morning and then I had to go and prep for the gig. But if I was genuinely, I couldn't get comfortable in my head that my my work day was an hour each night.
1: Now, that's, that's why when I do Edinburgh, you know, I sometimes do five shows a day. Yeah. I think the most I did actually was four four shows of my own a day. Yeah. And then two or three shows from eight of mine per day, yeah. and that and that was a bit where that did properly. Eventually, went yeah. Adrenaline, you don't get quite enough, and you do wake yeah. up every single morning cool, yeah. like kind of Roy Scheider and all that jazz and all. Of, but that bit of going well, while we're here, might as well make as many exactly. things as possible. And um, that's I, the great thing about thinking that life's finite; it gives you so much impetus.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I am going to. St- start to wrap things up now but I did want to talk about um, do you want me to sing Mustang Sally while punching a melon um, I, I've brought two different melons oh okay yeah <laughs> so I thought we'd do it together um, no no I did want to talk about the um, your choice of walking away or, st- or stepping away from touring and stand up and and what kind of brought that about because it felt at the time from talking to you it felt like a necessity it didn't feel like i'm mm. done with this it felt like this is going to break me this is going to you know and, and was that the case or was it what i was think the... i
1: did start to go a bit mad and all, yeah. i was on the cusp of madness that was it there was a point where i think it really kicked in about four years ago about four years ago uh i started to get insomnia and yeah. i just couldn't sleep and i would then I've I've be going talked to talk about this a fair this bit is, I've...
0: This last year, I've had an awful lot of insomnia, and it's well. I think some of it a, comes from. I don't know where yours think, will come from, right.
1: but mine, I think, comes and a lot of people's. It, it's that it's 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 not necessarily your. It's not what you're taking, and it's not your coffee or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's you get so worried about whether you're going to be able to achieve what you feel you should be achieving the next day. Yeah, sure. And so I was talking to yeah a friend of mine who was in a Beckett play and uh, having terrible insomnia, doing incredible work at Beckett incredibly well reviewed, every single night you have to replicate that. And I think mm. part of it came from the more I believed in the shows that I was doing and the last few that I've done, I'm sure there's been lots of shabby nights and blah, blah, blah but especially I think the last two are easily the best two. Especially, In fact, yeah. the, last, the last tour that I did, I still, six months later, haven't started to feel ashamed of it yeah which is yeah. a very long <laughs> period of time and and yeah, yes. and I start and I've gone I have to make this as good as possible so I yeah. got that and I think then that just created uh it, it meant that i was i probably felt like i was burning i was trying to juggle so many things as well lots of different kind of radio things and writing things and cr- just lots of different bits of creativity and putting a book together and then trying to write another book and um and i had f- the first time ever there were two occasions where for no reason whatsoever i found myself uh in tears before going on stage and mm. not, not i was like where's that come from got yeah. no idea but i suddenly have this tremendous sense of melancholy and loneliness and i feel weird and i'm quite good with my own company and it's
0: it's it's a weird one as well because there's a guilt there's a certain g- guilt even to feeling that because yeah. you're aware that you're doing a job that so many people would love to do and it's so d- desired and revered or whatever else yet you're feeling this sadness even even in this and again you can always there's that weird thing because in your head you'll know there are people that are far worse off than mm. you and have far far tougher lives. So why do you have a right to be essentially depressed in some way or sad at least? S- s- sad yeah, no, and, it's,
1: it feels preposterous, doesn't yeah. it? And it's and then also and I, I love being on valid stage. And human, so that was all fine. Yeah. Again, it was it was a case of for the two and a half hours that I was on stage, everything was fine. The half hour afterwards, where I'd hang around the bar and chat to people if they wanted to have a chat, whatever, that was all fine. And then it would just and it's hard now to replicate because that's gone now. Hmm. But, and, and that was partly helped by halfway through one of the tours I was doing, I asked Grace Peach to come and support me because I thought, if I've got someone there, yeah. if I've not just become this kind of ghastly, you know, enforced narcissism yeah. of, you know, staring at yourself under the bulbs all the time. And that kind of helped as well. And then I also thought, I really love, it's not in any way, not like in 2001, I love stand-up and I love yeah. performing and I find it very exciting. But I thought I don't know what I want to do next. I don't know yeah. how much that's true of you know with you taking yeah. a bit of time, which is going. Yeah. There's loads of things that I want to do. I've, I mean, in some ways I haven't slowed down. But by not travelling, like I think the last series of, of Infinite Monkey Cage starts quite soon. I th- I think it's the best one we've done, and I think it's just by the fact that I haven't every single Monday morning arrived with a rucksack on, having just come from you know yeah. Peterborough or Falmouth, and um, even though I don't think my brain's any clearer. I think just by cutting out all of the travelling yeah. and by not constantly feeling I have to come up with new ideas, but, and yet I still, I mean, it was like this moment where I thought, right, I, if I'm not going to do stand-up, I have to replace it with something. So before the end of the year, I'm going to write 60 short stories and every single day I'm going to write part of a short story and I have to write at least 1,000 words or 3,000 words every single day. So That's I still great. had my creativity thing. Yeah. Then, unfortunately, you know, other things got, got in I thought, the way. That, but it yeah. was like, and I found that, that then switched my brain immediately. It was suddenly, I wasn't coming up with stand-up at all. None, everything that I saw, every story that I saw, every image that I saw in the sky, if it did create something in my mind that wanted to m- make something of, you know, that, that little moment, it was a short story. It was to, to go into it, a story. Where a was the stand-up? And yeah. the stand-up seemed to have, have gone. Yeah,
0: that's Which, amazing. And it is it is a weird thing, because again, I think it's, it's, it's similar. and It's touching upon a a few things you said there. I think there is an element of, we're both people who, people will will, will look from the outside and say, man, you've, you've got numerous different podcasts and radio shows and all sorts of other things. And they'll say, you do so much. Yet I will also be aware that I did have time to watch the entire series of Making a Murderer in Three Days, which will then fill me with some kind of guilt of, well, I am juggling this, this and this, but they're all such... It's, it's such odd jobs that you put so much in for a finite amount of time. And similar with touring, I guess, it's like, it's all built up to, but then uh, once you start that tour, the work's kind of done in, 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 in many ways. The, the, the bit on stage then is, as you said, enjoyable. It's the bit that you can enjoy. So then there's this this a gap, I guess, of, of, of creativity in that. It's so, also
1: the embarrassment of being, de- you know, delighting in what you do. I don't mean yeah. as in going isn't what I do delight, but I mean, in terms of actually going, yeah. wow, wow. I do things that... And that was what got me as well. When I was doing the touring L.A., touring uh, USA and and Australia last year was I thought I should be enjoying this a lot more. And the reason I'm not is because I've had such a... It's just moving around all the time. Yeah. And it's stupid. It's stupid to be here with the opportunities that I have and not finding it absolutely, you know... And, of course, with distance, I go, it's bloody brilliant.
0: It's bizarre. I... The, exactly the same the first time me and, and, the, and the, the dan Lissac toured america i felt so guilty because i was pining to be with my mates on the Tiller hmv because i was literally I, was like, I wasn't enjoying it and i wrote a letter of resignation to dan which i never sent him and just i literally i was like i can't do this I, I, I i'm not enjoying myself and i feel so bad for not enjoying myself because i'm i'm in a band and we're touring america that's li- that's literally word for word so many people's yeah. dream and i'm sitting there like oh because I'm not doing tons of drugs and sleeping with loads of people or whatever else, you know, we we got into it outside of our teens, so that wasn't as much of a, a distraction, and yeah...
1: But I think then once, you, once you become aware of that, you can either discover you're doing the wrong thing or you find a system where you go, oh, no, I know how I can actually return to yeah. finding this. And I do – the, the number of things that I do where I think like, you know, whether it's all the podcasts, you know, working with Josie, working with Alan, um, doing the stuff, you know, Infinite Monkey Cage, doing the crisps. I – in terms of career-wise, because that's I suppose what ultimately it accidentally is. Yeah, is I there's nothing that I I don't watch other people on television or see things and go oh I'm envious. Yeah, you know I I don't look at the multi-millionaire stadium comedian and hanker to be them. Yeah, because yeah. I think apart from the else I've got you know I've got somewhere to live. I can I've got books. Again, I've got, I don't need, you know.
0: You, you nailed it on the accidental career part there. Because the fact is, you could sit here now and really analyse, oh, what's my plan going forward? Like, what's the plan ahead? But then if you look back at the rest of your career, tell me how much of that was part of the plan yeah. and part of the plan going ahead. All that stuff, you kind of, well, that's a career and that just happened. Yeah. That just kind of, that just happened and stuff. Just, just, just So you don't necessarily have to sit there and go, what? What's the what's the next step? What's the next thing? It's right, I'd like, well,
1: better now read volume two of Sid Little's autobiography <laughs> and get my house flooding with shit again. Yes. And therefore, that must have been what it took. It's the
0: catalyst. Well, bizarrely, even after saying that, I am going to end the podcast by saying, so what is ahead? <laughs> so, so what is well, the plan going forward and where can people keep up to date obviously you are on social media aware yeah, and and keenly I'm, and your blog is regular and things like yeah, that yeah
1: looks- I'm trying to try and get back to regular blogging I'm going to try and write the I've got a couple of books that I want to write this year basically the nice thing is I've got we've got a new series of Monkey Cage coming out we hope to do some more uh, I mean we'd love to do two about general relativity it's just so much fun going up yeah. the Lovell telescope standing wow. in the middle of the Lovell telescope with Jodrell Bang and just there is proper awe you know that yeah. bit where you go this is real dumbstruck you know Brian had been up there before of course. To record a D Ream video apart from anything else, but on other <laughs> occasions as well. Um you just look and you go, This is the beauty of, you know, human curiosity. Um so But then uh, the main thing I'm doing is touring with Brian. Uh, So we're touring from August onwards. And so I'm going to try and use all that time beforehand to just read loads, write loads, and create nothing with any purpose, any particular purpose. We'll be doing another, yeah, a new series in one case soon. We'll record another one probably in the summer. Um, And then I'm just doing kind of lots of bits and pieces. I mean, it's that nice thing where I know that I've got enough work that when someone goes, oh, we've got this thing, there's no money, and you go, but that'll be fun. I'm yeah. going off to see you know, some laboratory, some physics laboratory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, what I love is getting little emails from people going, I see you're in Cambridge. Would you like to come to Cavendish Laboratory and have a look at some d- our things? Yes, I would. Thank you very yes, much. Yes, I would. I, I love that as
0: well of the kind of, of, of doing a certain amount of reading and studying or whatever else with no particular plan or goal in mind. It's such a – when you really think about it, it's such a bizarre thing that we have our, our society set up that we get to 18 and go – yeah, that's probably enough learning. That's yeah. probably enough. That's po- we've probably got it 18. We've probably got it all in there. If you think of when you're 18, but that's when we stop, f- generally stop education yeah. and go, yeah, yeah, I reckon that's pff, that's good. That's good. It's bizarre. But well, that it's again, is,
1: thing. that's one of the main drives now, behind loads of things that I'm involved with, which is to make everyone an autodidact. Yeah. To make everyone go, I don't have to be scared of these subjects. I might not yeah. understand them. But there is no reason not to approach yeah. ideas of science ideas of philosophy there's no you shouldn't be fearful of great literature because most great literature is not impenetrable in fact one of the reasons it's great is yeah. that you can both penetrate it and at the same time on that journey and then afterwards you kind of sit there and you go oh i, th- I think i'm still i finished that book but it's still there it wasn't yeah. the, the the journey of the book was not now it's closed it's done the, there's these little bits i didn't even know are stuck in there yeah. these little gluey yeah. clumps stuck around my neurons it's, it's there's,
0: there's, there's um... I always remember one of my f- f- favorite, or changed my perception of a lot of things. Just just talking to my older brother, who's always I mentioned on the podcast, like has influenced a lot of my beliefs and has has taught me so much. He's a, he's infinitely more in- intelligent than me, but he said one day, and not dramatically, or not as in it as any kind of big statement, or to be contrary or bold, just quite honestly and and matter of factly that. He doesn't believe for him, at least at this point, but in general, I think I'm adding at this point, I think he was more... He doesn't believe in having a relationship because there's too many books he still hasn't read. And it's a genuine thing, and he puts so much time into reading and learning that he's like, I don't... Previously, I'll be in a relationship, and I'll be doing that bit where we're having the evening together or whatever else, and I'll be thinking she falls asleep in a minute, then I can probably get a few chapters in of, of this or that. And just, you know, And I, I found that beautiful. I was like, that's not trying to be shocking. And it should be a completely acceptable choice in itself of going, right, no, he feels that his improvement comes more from learning and, and book. Than yeah, we see, I, I from- would,
1: in one way, i have in a lot of agreement with that. But in another way, I also think that from the point of of my son, you know, yeah. but then that changes outlook and drive. And not in a way where you just right. become... Obsessed with fat, in, in, you know, the adventures, the adventures that we can have. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. I see myself as his imaginary tiger. You know, to his Calvin. <laughs> that's uh, but that, you know, we just have so many adventures, and it's brilliant. And and to watch the development and personally, that's just there. I yeah, I think nearly I so. It's Sid Little, my house flooding with shit, and probably the birth. must somewhere between you know all those three, things. one of them three. It's hard to say which one's the biggest impact moment. I'll send in you life, the but. Venn diagram as soon as I have finished it.
0: Well, thank you very much. Sir. Thank you. And uh, yeah. I look forward to seeing everything else that comes ahead, even though you don't quite know what it will be
1: yet. Still want to run a little bookshop, obviously. Perfect.
0: Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. You've been listening to Squibbish Picks. Disgrace, there we go. What a beautiful man, and what a poignant man, and what a wonderful man. I love Robin. Um, we could have talked for hours and hours and hours, and we have in the past. So it was it was lovely to have him have him on, and such a, as said, such a he's part of three or four of the best podcasts around, um, or has been involved in at different points. So yeah, that was great. Um, I mentioned at the end of the intro that there's a secret podcast I've recorded. I half mentioned. I can't even remember if I mentioned it properly. On its way is a Scroobius pip toy with artist Riker, who is absolutely amazing. If you're not f- familiar with Riker, you should be. He's 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 amazing, and um, we've been working for—I mean, I guess it's been six months or so now on a little, a limited run art toy. And I went down to his warehouse to see him, him making some of them and see how it's going and, and look at the casts and the progress. <laughs> Um, And I decided that while I was there, we'd record a podcast and talk about it all. And talk about his process as well. He's an amazing artist and it's one of my favourite podcasts that we've done. But we decided that we're not going to drop that podcast until the toy is ready for sale. And what we're going to do is when the podcast drops, we're going to tell you where it's available. I mean, we're starting off all we can get done in this time because he hand makes all of this shit. We're going to be doing a limited run of 50 so when that podcast drops, we will tell you where the first 50 are available and we might not mention it on social media until like a day after the pod- the podcast has dropped. So the podcast uh, listeners have got a head start, you know. That's really exciting I can't wait for you to see him and hear that podcast again. We don't just talk about the toy. it's not just a long advert I promise we talk about Riker's whole journey into art and on being a successful career artist he makes a good strong living from art now it's amazing and he comes he, he you know he started off as a sign writer so yes yeah, it's, it's a great story um check that out. But next week, we have Jason Reed, who is amazing. And I touched upon it in the intro. Please just download this podcast. He, he's a very intelligent man. He writes for the Huffington Post and numerous other uh, websites and has worked on numerous great d- documentaries. It's a hell of a story and a hell of a tale and a hell of a discussion about our drug laws. So, Come into that open, open-minded. open Don't come into it being, yeah, fuck the drug laws or, yeah, fuck the stoners or whatever else. Come in and listen to the discussion. So check that out next week. Until then, please, if you can rate us and, and give us nice marks on iTunes and things like that, or subscribe or tell your friends, spread the word, do all the good things. I think by the time this one drops, in fact, as this one drops, I should be on the Soda Jerker podcast this week which is a great podcast about um musicians and, and, and writers so it's just about the writing process and they interviewed me about my techniques and all that kind of thing so that was cool but also on the Richard Herring podcast I can't say it um, the Richard Herring live from Leicester Square podcast um, so that should be this week as well I think so If this wasn't enough, there's so much more you can hear of my banal rambling voice, so go check them out. I'm going to go, and I'm going to talk to you all next week. See you in a bit. Bye.